0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining us, or welcome, welcome, as our guest would say. We are chatting with Erica Mandy from the Newsworthy podcast, getting into some of her master keys for communicating powerfully and succinctly and clearly pulling classical journalism tips and tricks and principles and perspectives so that you can sound less like a robot and more persuasively awesome and clear and succinct in your communications at work and basically everywhere. So you'll learn one, how what you're doing on Facebook can damage your credibility at work. Two, words to purge from your communication. And three, the fundamental test that improves your communication. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, It's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F487. If you don't want to tap all those things in your phone, you can simply expand your episodes, uh, notes, or description inside your podcast app, player of choice. So you can check out these reference materials all the faster that way. Now here's Erica's story. Erica Mandy is an award-winning broadcast journalist and former TV news reporter who's building a new kind of media network starting with her daily news podcast, The Newsworthy. It provides all the day's news in less than 10 minutes in a convenient, unbiased, and less depressed way that she calls fast, fair, and fun. Erica is one of the first podcasters to partner with PodFund, a company that invests in extraordinary emerging podcasters, and she's been named one of 50 women changing the world in media and entertainment. Big thanks to Erica for sharing her wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here's Erica. Erica, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here.
1: Well, I've been enjoying your podcast, The Newsworthy, uh, just about every day since we met at Podcast Movement in Orlando. So so thank you for making it. it. It really is helpful in my world. And I was also struck when we were chatting by just how much time you spent <laughs> sort of reading, studying, processing news can you give us that figure?
2: Well, thank you for listening, and thank you for saying that you're enjoying it. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I spend a lot of time on the news for just a 10-minute show. It takes a lot more than 10 minutes, I can say that. I now have a team of two other writers. So together, they spend about six hours looking at all the news of the day, reading multiple articles for each story, and then writing in our brand style the news stories. Then I come in at the end and spend another two or three hours reviewing everything, making changes as necessary, and then recording and editing and publishing the show. So it's a full day of news consumption and reworking and updating before that 10 minutes goes out each day.
1: Well, I just love that you share with the podcast listening audience, so you know that a lot goes into every show. And what's fascinating here is that you're not you don't have reporters on the scene like you are reading news that's already been written and then and it takes that much time to thoughtfully consider what needs to be covered and how do we say it in the clearest most succinct way that is very helpful to people as possible and and so i just think it's it's impressive and you probably have a lot to say about clear, succinct communication for having done this so many times.
2: <laughs> yes. And part of the reason I started the Newsworthy is because people were feeling very overwhelmed by all the information, you know, 24-7 phone notifications, 24-7 cable news outlets. So it can feel so overwhelming and sometimes kind of depressing because of all the doom and gloom that's out there that some people's reaction is just to tune it out altogether. But then we don't feel informed. We can't have good conversations at work when someone brings up a new story, right? So that's why I started it is to help people navigate that and do the hard work for them so that they only need 10 minutes a day to feel informed and know which stories they care most about to maybe then go read more about that one or two stories instead of trying to keep up with all the different things coming at them. Well,
1: yeah, and, and I think it's it's so helpful for me personally because I tend to really get sucked in to uh, the news because I'll read an article and I'll say, well, that's interesting, but I have several follow-up questions that were not addressed. Uh, I'm going to have to go hunt those down myself. <laughs> and then an hour later, it's like, well, I have my answers, but I, I don't think it was worth it. <laughs> I, I've, I've lost my hour. <laughs> right. and, and so I've come to sort of not like the news, but I don't like feeling dumb and being caught off guard more. Exactly. <laughs> that I don't like reading the news. Exactly. And so you, you, you sort of saved the day for me. So so thank you for that.
2: I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you.
1: Well, and so we'll just get a, sort of give a quick tidbit. So what's sort of the differentiating philosophy? You've done the hard work. It's, it's short, uh, your show. Uh, why is it uh, different and helpful in the world for those who have not yet sampled it?
2: So I think my tagline, fast, fair, fun, sums it up. And I can explain a little bit. Fast means that it's less than 10 minutes. So again, you just need that 10 minutes a day to feel well-rounded and at least somewhat informed when you're walking into work each morning. It's fair and unbiased. So because we aren't the reporter on the scene, we have the ability to look across multiple news sources and make sure that not one reporter's bias is overly influencing our script. So we pay special attention to looking at multiple news sources for every single story that goes into our show. And then it's fun. So we provide fun news through variety. Yes, sometimes news is sad and depressing. And we will talk about those big news stories of the day, even when they're not necessarily fun. But we always make sure that every episode has some fun stories in that, whether it's an interesting story about space or something fun about an award show that happened the night before that people might be talking about. So variety is the spice of life when it comes to our show.
1: I learned that Dwayne The Rock Johnson was the highest paid (laughs) actor (laughs) (laughs) of the year. I would not have guessed.
2: But you probably also learned about the Supreme Court, right? Uh So you get both in 10 minutes.
1: (laughs) That's good. That's good. Well, so good show thank you for making it. What I really want to zoom in on from a skill development perspective is is communication you know, with regard to specifically, how can we be succinct and clear in our writing and our speaking? You've done it so many times. I'm sure you have these conversations with your staff about word choice and sentence length and participles and, and all these things, as well as more sort of macro level. So maybe I'd love to get your take having done journalism for a good while. What do you think is the state of communication in our world today? Do you think uh, folks are generally communicating clearly and succinctly, or is it a mess somewhere in the middle? Are we trending positively or negatively? I just want to get your global picture first.
2: Sure. So like most things, I think there's pros and cons to the state of our communication today. On one hand, we have all of these amazing communication tools right at our fingertips. So for example, I just hired an editor who lives in Australia and is across the globe. And we met on Skype we could talk about all the business deals. Now we communicate on Slack, which is the messaging app where, hey, the voice track is uploaded. And, oh, I have a question about this. And in seconds, someone in Australia and I are communicating quickly and easily. So I love that ability. On the same positive note for our communication is the ability to reach out to anybody. So let's say you're looking for a mentor. Find someone on LinkedIn and you can reach out to them without having their phone number or their email address, right? So... And because of the state of social media, I think people are pretty good at being forced to write that initial message in a concise way. Twitter, for example, forces you to do that, right? You only have so many characters in a tweet. So I think there's some really amazing opportunities with the tools we have in place if we use them strategically. I think on the flip side, it can be very difficult for people now to want to pick up the phone or have face-to-face conversations. When I started an interview segment that I do now on Thursdays on my show called Thing to Know Thursday, I sometimes like to do very timely news-related topics for that interview. So I can't email somebody and then wait three days for them to get back to me and then schedule something. A lot of times I need to pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, can you do an interview in the next hour? And be succinct about it, right? And I think sometimes people struggle with that. When my husband actually said to me when I was first starting this interview segment, how did you get these people, you know, so quickly? And I'm like, well, I just called and asked them. And he said, I don't think a lot of people do that anymore. Like people are afraid to have that conversation. So I think it's important for us to remember that we can have the old ways of communicating as well and make sure that we're using those strategically as well. And then the other negative that I think can come from this is the misinformation that can go around online. So for example, Pinterest just changed its policy about what search results it will give you for medical information because a lot of experts blame online misinformation for the fact that we're having a measles outbreak, right? Because parents got scared based on misinformation about what happens when they vaccinate their children. So then some parents were choosing not to vaccinate their children. And now we have a measles outbreak and it's really a global problem. So that can be based in misinformation. And we have to be very conscious about the types of information that we then pass on. So it can feel like a really quick way and concise way to communicate by just reposting something or forwarding something on to someone else. But if that information is not accurate and we didn't do our due diligence about what we're forwarding on that hurts our credibility because we were the ones that passed it on and i can talk about some studies and some information that's out there about especially young people having a hard time differentiating between real information that's accurate and information that is not true or at least not sourced properly
1: hmm. well yeah you got a statistic laid on us so One
2: of the things that that really stuck out to me, first of all, is an MIT study that was published last year. It found false information spreads six times faster than the truth on Twitter. So we have to ask ourselves, are we the ones retweeting something that actually isn't true because it just validates our own opinions, right? So it feels really concise and quick to retweet something. But if we, again, didn't do the due diligence to make sure it's accurate, then that can reflect poorly on us because we passed on that information that wasn't true. Another Stanford study in 2016 found that middle school, high school, and college students could not evaluate the credibility of information that they saw online. And researchers actually said they were shocked at the results of this because they were even having a hard time telling the difference between sponsored news stories that were paid for and real news stories. They were having a hard time realizing that a picture that they saw on Facebook may not be credible because there was no source for it. Right, And so, if they repost that on Facebook, that might not look good for them once it comes out that that's not an accurate quote or that's not an accurate picture. So I think we as communicators have to take responsibility for the type of information that we're going to communicate with others and know that if even if it's someone else's information like I do on the newsworthy, you know, I take responsibility for the stories that i 'm citing
1: right well, that is eye opening thanks for for sharing that and and yes, I, I have. Sort of thought that when I I saw someone sort of repost or reshare something that's false, it just kind of makes me think. "Mm." It's not a huge deal, but it just sort of diminishes a a little bit of of their credibility in terms of of how much I might trust something that they they say to me. You know, he's like, "Well, I don't know how much you've researched it." You know,
2: it can be a huge deal if that's in a work report and you're citing something you found online that's not really true, right? Oh yeah. So we have to think about that. Across all of the aspects of our lives
1: let's talk about work report and, and work emails and and communications that way I'd love to get your view in terms of when you see people writing emails and, and you're reading emails you know what are sort of the, the top mistakes you see with regard to being a clear and succinct or, or, or messaging so you're a pro at writing and and what are you seeing <laughs> is wrong with with our writing at work today
2: well I think sometimes people feel like they have to be overly professional where it's almost like a robot, right? Where we're not thinking about the human on the other side of an of an email or or a report. And we're writing with such jargon that it comes across as boring and stiff (laughs) and robotic. And I think it's important for even through all the technology for us to remember that a human is going to be hearing this or reading this. And so let's think about that other human when we're writing and when we're putting together this information so that's going to affect the tone of how we write that's going to affect the word choices the information that we're going to include do we need certain details and am i providing enough details for them to understand i think knowing your audience is so important and again in the word choice in the tone of how you write
1: could you give, give us a couple examples that uh, just maybe make you chuckle or, or shake your head with regard to, hey, I- I'm a human being. You can you can talk to me <laughs> sort of normally and, and for real here. Any yes. kind of go to phrases or sentences that uh, might be better spent on the chopping block?
2: So I think when it comes to speaking like a human, especially in writing and especially if you're writing for a speech or something that you're going to be communicating verbally or for someone to hear. We want to use the words that we would actually use in conversation. So we deal with this a lot at the Newsworthy because we're writing for audio. And so that means I would never say a pedestrian in conversation. If I was talking to a friend, I wouldn't say, I saw this pedestrian the other day, right? (laughs) I would just say, I saw a person crossing the street. And so even those minor words that are complicated words, but it's not a word that we would actually use in conversation can make a huge difference in sounding natural and sounding like you're just a human instead of a very buttoned up robot. <laughs> I think, yes, yeah. So there are other more minor things. I think a lot of times people can just eliminate unnecessary words. For example, the word that gets used a lot and probably is unnecessary a lot of the time. So if you think that your sentence still makes sense without the word that, I would usually say eliminate it. I also have a weird pet peeve about the word literally, because I don't think it's used properly. Literally means that something is literally happening. So you don't want to say, oh, I literally died because you didn't die. So uh, I think that sometimes is used incorrectly and that can hurt your credibility as well. So there's a lot of little words like that that can usually be eliminated and it's going to tighten up your writing without even changing a lot of the structure.
1: I'm thinking that this also really applies in terms of just the human language not just if you're emailing someone, but also when you think about sort of website copy or or stuff that's supposed to be persuasive. I'm, I'm looking at something It says, Somewhat, when they redid this website, I'd like shook my head. It said, "I'm not going to say their name, but it said brand names, customer engagement platform optimizes omni-channel conversion." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what? What does that <laughs> mean? I, yes. Exactly. You know, I think what you could say is like, "Hey, uh, whether your customer comes in via phone uh, or text or email." Or online, we've got just the thing that to make them buy. I, I mean, you know, come on. Like, like that's what you're trying to say to me, I think. I'm, exactly. I'm 100% sure.
2: <laughs> and a lot of times I'll tell the writers that I work with, so read the three articles that you want to read and then walk away and think about what's the bottom line here? How would I tell this information to a friend right now without referencing anything, right? That's the point that you want to get to instead of going through all of this jargon and all of these details that are in... The three articles that you just wrote. So sometimes taking a step back and saying, how would I tell this to a friend is the best way to at least get started and start writing like a human. And then you can go back and massage it a little bit.
1: You know, I really like that notion. You say the walk away, uh, I think is, is huge because if you don't, then you're kind of very close to almost the same words that your source material is using right and so when you say walk away i, I don't know how prescriptive you get but what's the the ideal amount of time to walk away because i imagine if it's if it's five seconds it's like okay well you know you're, you're still sort of real close to it if it's <laughs> uh, five hours it's sort of like I, I don't really remember a lot of the things right. that i Yeah.
2: Well, I think it depends on your deadline. I'm a journalist, so I've worked under a lot of tight deadlines. So sometimes I don't have the flexibility to walk away for too long. But I think really just even looking away from it and again asking yourself that question. So, how would I repeat this in my own words to a friend right now if I had to explain this topic or this thing to them? And you'd be surprised at how quickly you can take all of this big information that you just read or that you just went through and Your brain automatically remembers some of the key points. You're not going to remember all the details, even right away. So I think even if you have to do it immediately, just looking away and asking yourself to say it in your own words can go a long way. I also, if I don't have to send something right away, I will take a few minutes and walk away from my office and maybe go get a glass of water and come back even 15 to 30 minutes later and reread it with fresh eyes and then i can massage the script i like that word massage the script because i do this often we think we like how we're saying it when we first write it and then when you walk away and come back with fresh eyes you'd be surprised at the things that you catch so even like 15 or 30 minutes can go a long way to review your script and make changes as necessary.
1: Well, and I like in particular how you zoomed in on sort of the word that and how that's something you can eliminate frequently. Yes. Are there any other sort of, you know, go to tips and tricks or, or phrases that you really want to be aware of when we're trying to be extra concise and omit those needless words?
2: Yes, really and very can be overused and are often unnecessary. So is there a better adjective you could use that emphasizes that this is very something, right? Without having to use the word very, you could just say it in one word. Or a lot of times it's just not necessary. It was great to see you today, still comes across the same as it was really great to see you today, right? It's probably not necessary to say the really, and it can make you come across as a little bit wordy. I also think we have to be careful, especially in email communications, about how many exclamation marks we're using. So I love the idea of using exclamation marks, one or two sentences in an email to provide kind of that energy that you want to provide. But I think too often people are using them a little bit too much where it seems like we're yelling at the person or that we're overly excited and overly eager. So we have to find that, that middle balance and ask ourselves, is there a way that my words can convey a different tone? instead of having to use an exclamation point.
1: You know, I think there was like a a seed from a Seinfeld episode where someone was critiquing a manuscript or something that had too many exclamation points. Like, what do you mean? It was like, well, for example, I was feeling chilly, so I went to get my jacket. (laughs) 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 That just cracks me up. Because I really do, when I I see an exclamation point, I'm sort of like reading inside my brain their words, and I'm putting the exclamation point on there. And so when there's a lot, it's sort of like, yeah, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's genuine. You know, it's like you might be you might be that peppy and fired up about this. I don't know, right. but you you make me wonder
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think the last thing is to consider your audience and the jargon that you may be using. So one of the things, especially in news, that we have to deal with a lot is, this jargon of whatever the news story talks about. So, for example, as a reporter, maybe I'm talking to a lawyer about a news story, and this lawyer uses a lot of legal jargon, stuff that my audience is not going to understand. So it's my job to research that legal jargon, make sure I have a good understanding of it, and then break it down into normal speak for my audience so that they don't have to do the research about what I'm talking about. Because if they can't understand what you're saying, they're gonna tune out.
1: I really appreciated your story story about there are some fears that we could have a recession uh, based upon an economic indicator yeah and so i took finance in college and so i i know some things but i read a news story i was like i don't know why that would indicate a recession <laughs> right. and then when you said it it's like oh okay i got it short term versus long term usually it's the other way around Oh, okay, got it. So thank you. yes, I think that is that's dead on is to is to deconstruct the jargon and especially I, I hear this frequently in terms of of executives when they are are talking to they' getting the report from someone. maybe it's about technology or some you know analytics or research they ran. and so you know they really just don't even care about the the details and the processes and the systems and the underlying technology. They kind of just want the the bottom line upfront implications and like, this thing is broken in this place and people could get hurt. We need to fix it by doing this. It's going to cost X dollars. Like, okay, understood. As opposed to, well, you see this system here is malfunctioning given the capacitor, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so.
2: Exactly. And it's, I think you bring up a couple of points there. One is, is using the correct terminology, but also realizing that people are busy and they don't necessarily need all the details that you know. So after I read four articles of news, I know a lot more details that you probably don't care about, and I'm going to leave a lot of the details out and make sure that you understand the few key details that are important to what you need to know.
1: Okay, so so we talked a lot about being concise. I'm curious about if there are any other you know best practices we can borrow from journalism to do better business writing.
2: Yes, so I think there's a few things from The journalism industry and what I've learned as a reporter that really, really overlap with how to be a good writer for business. One of them, I'll go back to it because I believe so strongly in it, especially in today's world is accuracy. What are the facts and data that you're citing? Are they credible sources? Did you double check assumptions? Are you making assumptions that may not be true? So just double checking your work for accuracy is so important. And as journalists, that is one of our key roles. We know that even one mistake can hurt our credibility, even if we did everything else right. So number two is really knowing your audience. So as journalists, if you're a local news reporter versus a national news reporter, right, you're going to be talking about different things. You're going to be including different types of details. So the same thing goes with business writing. If you're talking to your boss, you may need to say something different than if you're talking to someone that you're the manager of right? And you have to include different details. So know who you're writing for and how you can best communicate with that person instead of having this idea that it's just a blanket script every time that you write something. And I think that also goes back to some of the jargon, right? Does your audience, whoever you're writing this to or talking to, do they understand the same terminology that you use? And if not, how can you say it differently? Depends if they're in your industry or not. Are you talking to someone, a coworker, or are you talking to a client that doesn't understand as much about it?
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm thinking about jargon right now, and so <laughs> I was talking to my mom about podcast movement and all the the insights and takeaways and da 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 da. And so I, I just sort of naturally, because I would talk to all you know podcasters and, and folks, and, and I my mom said, oh yeah, so so what would you learn and all these things Like, well, I said I'm kind of excited about the opportunity to use dynamic ad insertion to monetize the back catalog. <laughs> that was just really very honest from the heart like uh, i am excited about that opportunity and and my mom was like i don't know what that means at all (laughs) and yet just but i was just at this event right where where you know exactly what i mean by that yes as do probably the majority of people i was interacting with and they're talking about the pros and cons of pursuing that path and so it was a funny little wake-up call it's like oh different audience
2: (laughs) Yep. It's so true. And I think it's so true in business as well. And you know that if a customer or client is coming in, they probably don't know the same things as you and your coworker. So you have to talk to them and communicate with them differently.
1: And I'm on the receiving end when uh, it seems like whenever contractors come to my home, it's like, I I don't know what that means. Is is that expensive?
2: (laughs) Exactly. And I think too often when we don't understand something, We are quick to just use whatever sentence someone else used and repeat it because we don't really, (laughs) we can't explain it well. And I tell my writers all the time, you have to take the time. If you don't understand this, you have to take those extra few minutes to research it and get an understanding yourself before you can communicate it well to someone else.
1: That is such a simple piece of advice. But I love it. I mean, it it makes all the difference. Like, I think that's where the rubber meets the road right there in in terms of, of clear, succinct communication. It's like, do you really know what that means? Or are you repeating the sentence? And if you don't really know what it means, take another moment to really know what it means. And then you're in much better shape
2: because it can be harder to write in a more concise way than. A very complicated way where, you know, you probably understand it more if you can explain it well in a concise way.
1: Very much. Okay. So I'm intrigued. We, so we talked about a lot of the, the writing side of things. Well, let me, before we shift gears, I want to get your take then. Can we take it too far? You know, we, we want to be simple, concise, clear, human friendly. I'm wondering if you can go too far there in terms of like, this is informal and inappropriate, Erica, right. for, for this setting that we're in. Uh, what's your take on that?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think, one, go back to knowing your audience. You don't want to get too informal if this is a very professional setting. But I think the other way that we can be too concise is not providing enough details. And that can lead to miscommunication. And then not everyone's on the same page. And that can lead to conflict and problems down the line, right? So we have to think about what are the details that this person or these people need to know and make sure that we're still including all of the relevant information without using unnecessary words or without repeating ourselves. Because I think the way that people sometimes aren't concise is because they're saying the same thing over and over again in a different way with different words, but it doesn't really tell me any new information. That's very different than telling me new information that I need to know and giving me enough details, right? So differentiating between enough details and repeating and rambling, two different things.
1: Yes, well said. And so when you are... are sort of communicating in the, the verbal spoken way, you've got a, a great way of delivering the news that it's, it's kind of like night and day as compared to some broadcasters right. with a typical tone that ends like this, you know, again and again and again. And and, and sometimes it, it seems like their goal is to like shock and alarm me so that I yes. keep listening. <laughs> it just feels kind of tiring and, and, and manipulative at times, uh, depending on, on the broadcaster. But so... Any pro tips on using that friendly, engaging, casual tone? I think it is, it's a helpful one that can go miles in in building rapport and likability such that it's just like you know what I, I do want to help out that person i do want to collaborate with her because i just think she's great you know that's just sort of like the vibe that I can convey but a lot of people are, are pretty nervous so how do we get there
2: yes and i think you bring up such a good point about some of the broadcast journalists out there that have the exact same tone for every sentence. And it, it, they're trying to be authoritative, but it just comes across as kind of harsh, right? So it goes back to talking to people like they're humans, like they're your friend. Even if you're reading a script, even if you are emailing someone without taking it so far that you feel like you're memorizing something and then sounding like a robot, right? So I remember a time when I actually had to be on live television And it was a lead story. It was this big story. And I wrote out kind of an intro that I memorized, which was a mistake. Because then as soon as my cameraman started doing something that was a little distracting, it threw me off. And suddenly I couldn't get back onto my script. And so on live television, I'm fumbling around, right? And I had to kind of get through it quickly. But that was my mistake because I tried to memorize something instead of really understanding the content and being able to Have bullet points or some preparation to feel like I can talk about it intelligently, but without trying to memorize it exactly. So I think the same thing goes with speeches and that sort of thing where do the preparation, have your bullet points, but don't try to get word for word for word exactly right or it's going to trip you up at some point as soon as you get distracted. And to that point, I like having some notes or some bullet points with me, especially if you have a presentation or something. No one blames you unless you're this professional speaker that does this every single day. No one blames you having some notes. You don't want to sit there and read it. But if it helps you stay concise and on point to glance down at the numbers that you're referring to or glance down at what your next point is, people don't even notice that. And so I would say use that as your safety blanket if you can. And then before you go off to talk to someone about something, especially if you have some sort of script, read it out loud to yourself. This is a really good way to see if you're not giving enough information or you're giving too much and you almost hear yourself talking to the person, when you read it out loud versus just saying it in your head, it goes a long way. I tell my writers that they need to read every script that they write out loud to themselves. I don't think if, I don't care if people think you're crazy, because you'll notice a lot of things when you read it out loud.
1: I tell my staff the same thing, and there are <laughs> there are <laughs> videos of me editing their work, reading it out loud. Yes, uh, numerous exactly. ones in, in terms of training. It's like, mm, you know, actually, I think we can kill that word. Oh, we can kill three words. Yeah, let's do that. That's better. And so, absolutely, makes makes a difference. So, yeah, you've totally covered what I want to cover there. So thank you. <laughs> I, I want to hear it. So you talk about the news, you delivering it in a way that is less depressing, which I love. It's, it's, it's not zero depressing, <laughs> but it's less depressing. Right. Right. And so generally speaking, do you have any tips when we do need to deliver some bad news that we know someone is, is not going to be pleased when, when they hear it? How can we do that? Well,
2: So I think this comes down to what details are you going to include? So yes, it has something to do with your tone. But I think the big thing is what is necessary to include and what can you leave out? And that doesn't mean shy away from hard conversations because we all need to have those tough conversations. And I think we should embrace those when necessary. But I think that there are certain things that you don't always have to include. For example, your doctor prescribing you some medicine, they have to ask themselves, do the benefits outweigh the risks, right? So for journalists, that looks like a story about something like suicide, for example. Most journalists do not report on many suicide stories because we don't want to glorify it or anything like that. But let's say a famous person has died by suicide. So that's something that we need to talk about. Well, I can communicate that by being very upfront without giving unnecessary details that are either graphic or that help that glorify something like that. So at the same time, I can add details that help anybody who might be affected by this story. So I can provide a national suicide hotline, for example, to let people know if you're struggling with this, make sure you you see you go to this number. There's people there to help you. So I can add some details that are going to help soften the blow and I can leave things out that are unnecessary to add value to that audience.
1: As I think about it, like if you have to share some some bad news with the boss, then you can add some Additional details like, "Hey, you know, this is happening and it's it's a huge mess, but I have cleared all of my <laughs> afternoon schedule to address it." So it's like, "Oh, okay, then, uh, good to know."
2: Yes, solution mm-hmm. based. I love that, and and I think even you know when I'm thinking about news, I think about how are people finding a solution to this? How can the audience help with this? So let's not just talk about the problems and the complaints when we walk into our boss's office. Let's talk about the solutions. And your boss is much more likely to listen to you if you quickly go through the problem and then focus on the solutions than if you come in and basically sound like you're rambling and complaining about the problem.
1: Now, when it comes to sharpening these communication skills you know, week after week, month after month, do you have any sort of all-time favorite or go-to you know, books, blogs, resources that you think are super helpful?
2: So it's become something that I just do every day and I study journalism and writing and school and all of that stuff. Okay. So one of the things I like to tell people, especially if grammar is their thing thats that they're struggling with, uh, my friend who is known as the Grammar Girl is a great resource. She has a podcast and a blog that goes over a lot of the very common mistakes that people make in English grammar. So if you ever are writing something and you aren't sure if it's this word or this contraction or how you should write it, she's a great resource that you can quickly look up on her website, the best way to do it. And her thing is always to take the few minutes to to know, because then you'll know forever, right? The next time you're writing that, instead of taking the few minutes to find a different way to say it, that may, might not be as effective.
1: That's good. So the Grammar Girl podcast, that's a Minion Fogarty. Is yes. That right? Fogarty? Yes. I am yep. like, not filet mignon. That's... A- <laughs> But there's an amended and an F. Okay, good. All right, so Grammar Girl, awesome. Thank you. All righty. Cool. Well, tell me, Erica, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things?
2: One of the things I forgot to mention when we were talking about tips to if you're nervous for a presentation or a speech or something that you have to deliver is to visualize it because visualizing yourself standing in front of the audience and feeling calm and confident can actually go a really long way in making sure when the moment actually comes that you do feel more calm and confident. And this has actually been proven with studies. There was one study from an exercise psychologist that had people physically go to the gym and they improved their muscle strength by 30%. And then there were people who just thought about those workouts in their head. They didn't actually lift any weights, right? they still improved their muscle strength by 14% without actually going to the gym. So sure, it wasn't as much as the the people that did the physical work, but it was still a really big improvement. So think about if we're practicing out loud, reading our scripts, we're practicing with our note cards physically, and then we also take the time to visualize, the combination is gonna make us feel super prepared and ready to get up and do that presentation or that speech. So I definitely recommend even a few weeks out, a couple times a week, visualizing for five to 10 minutes that moment when you're standing in front of people. And you don't have to go through the whole thing in your head. It's more about feeling calm and confident as you stand there and see people or as you're walking on stage.
1: Boy, that muscle strength study is striking. I want to read the whole thing. I've heard studies associated with like doing basketball free throws versus visualizing doing basketball free throws. But to actually have the muscles in right? your body be transformed by imagining, that is wild. So that very cool. Thank you.
2: Well, because so much of what we're able to do physically comes from our mental stamina, right? So even just making our body believe that we can do it, maybe our muscle didn't actually grow, but our mind is telling our muscle that we can do it. So, so much of, of what we're able to do physically comes from the psychology of it.
1: Well, now, could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
2: Yes. One of my favorite quotes comes from a guy named Light Watkins. I get a daily email from him, actually, that is very inspiring. I, I do recommend it for people. He also has a great Instagram account. But one of the quotes that struck me that when it came in my email inbox was, a convenient commitment is an oxymoron. And what I love about this is that it's basically saying, A commitment isn't always convenient or it's not a commitment, right? It's like a hobby or something that you do every now and then. If you're truly committed to something, you do it even when it's inconvenient and even when you don't feel like it. And I felt this really strongly in my first year of business. I was learning so much about business. I didn't have a really big audience with the Newsworthy just yet. But I stayed committed to it. I put out a show every single day, even when I didn't feel like doing it, even when I was doubtful if it was ever going to become what I wanted it to become. And now I can look back and be so grateful that I was so committed to it because it's paid off and it's become more of what I wanted it to be. And I've been able to hire a team so that it wasn't all on me. So I think that can apply to so many things in our lives, at work or at home, where a commitment is something that we do even when it's inconvenient.
1: And how would a favorite study or experiment or bit of research?
2: Sure. So one of the reasons I started the Newsworthy was because of this idea that people were feeling overwhelmed or depressed by the news. Well, it turns out Pew Research from the Pew Research Center found that seven out of 10 Americans actually do say that they feel news fatigue. So that was just a great study that proved that what I was hearing and seeing from people was true across the country and not just in my neighborhood. And a favorite book? So one of the books that was really eye-opening for me early on in my career, was called Knowing Your Value by Mika Brzezinski. And it was about women in the workplace and how can you make sure that you know your own value to negotiate better. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be an aggressive negotiator, right? You can negotiate in your own way, but still know your value and make sure that you present yourself in a way that people know that you know that you're good enough, right? Another one that I really like is called factfulness. And it's this idea that the world isn't as bad as sometimes we think it is because of all the news around us, right? So for example, uh, poverty globally is actually decreasing, but we don't talk about that that often. So I think it's important to remember to question those assumptions and know that there's a lot of good in the world, even when it feels like there's not. And a favorite tool? My favorite tool. I'm really into boomerang right now on my email because... I get a lot of email and I am still not that great at going through it all, but you can hit the snooze button and it'll remind you in a few days. I think it's a really nice, productive way to go through your email and make sure that things don't get lost in the inbox. And a favorite habit? Exercising and meditating. So I notice a huge difference if I don't get outside and exercise or take a class in my productivity level, in my happiness. And meditating is something I started just in the last couple of years. Just 10 minutes a day or even a few times a week really goes a long way for me to feel a little bit more calm and confident and not let things affect me as much as they probably would if I didn't take a step back and look at the big picture.
1: And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks that they say it back to you frequently?
2: Well, I have to say I am so passionate about helping people stay informed that when I hear my audience does say it back to me often that they feel depressed and overwhelmed by the news and that this helps them stay informed. So I think just this idea, you know, going back to that Pew research that it's actually true. People always nod their head when I say, well, well, people kind of feel depressed by the news that really gets people's attention because it's so true. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. And so again, that's The idea that we can help people stay informed and stay part of the national conversation, I think goes a long way.
1: And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them?
2: I would just say go to thenewsworthy.com. That has all my social links, a way to contact me, and you can check out the show.
1: And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Yes. I would say read the next email out loud to yourself and see if you catch anything that can be changed. And- Also, think about what your end goal is with that email or whatever communication that you are doing. Do you want to help explain something? Are you doing it like a human? Or are you trying to get the next steps in a project? Because I think too often people forget that they're so worried about what something sounds like that they forget the overall goal of that communication. And sometimes it's to set up a meeting, right? So let's make sure we put at the end of the email, here are a few dates that we can set up this meeting and think about what your goal is for that particular piece of communication.
1: Erica, thank you. This has been a ton of fun. I wish you and the Newsworthy tons of luck.
2: Thank you so much. This was fun.
1: I really, really, really loved Erica's gut check associated with. Do you actually understand what you've heard and what you're saying? Or are you just repeating the words? (laughs) (laughs) I have definitely been guilty of that, you know, and it really kind of brings to light what I don't actually understand about some things. It's kind of humbling and it takes some more time to get to the true understanding, but you will really prevent yourself from being embarrassed when you repeat words and they ask a follow-up question and you're like, uh, I think this is actually what is at the root of why I often don't get satisfactory answers when I am asking questions of folks, maybe about their product or service or offering or if I should explore something further is I'm just sort of hearing talking points repeated as opposed to to hearing an in-depth understanding uh, associated with things. So don't be that person. Go ahead and get that understanding as you communicate and you'll have some more confidence because you know you can't be phased or, or thrown off and you'll be able to explain it all the more clearly and articulately so you get sort of a double whammy in terms of your communication bonus. And and I am realizing as I'm speaking these words that I don't actually understand how cryptocurrency works, bitcoin. I could repeat to you some things about blockchain and a distributed network of computers and, and anonymity and an indelible ledger. But I don't fundamentally know what's going on there, and why people are so freaking excited. Uh, yeah, I just said it. I said it. And I've understood it for moments, like after watching a YouTube video, I was like, oh, okay, okay, I guess that makes sense, but I can't actually explain it. And that kind of points back to some of the lessons we heard about the, the Feynman technique for learning. When uh, we had Scott Young back at episode 471 talking about that in terms of writing down, okay, what's the concept at the top of a sheet of paper, and then and how would you explain that to someone? And, and do you really have it down or do you not? So huge impact both for your learning and for your communication. Lovely to see some reinforcement there from Erica. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F487. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest. It's Tan Pham from The Productivity Show. He is sharing his thoughts on, you guessed it, productivity. And he's got some great perspectives on sleep and more that uh, I haven't actually heard before. So I think you will dig that as well. Hope to catch you there In peace.